Well, today, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 3. Now, I've got a lot of other scriptures as we're kind of continuing in this series called Renewed. And today, I want to speak to you a message called Renewed in Love, part 2. Now, as you know, if you've been connected to Calvary, the Lord has been really spoke to me a message in July of 2020 that I held on to and, and just began to release just in this past few weeks that the Lord said in 2021, there would be an, a, an, an act of renewal in the church by the power of the Holy Spirit that out of a landscape of loss, new life would spring forth. According to Isaiah 40, it says, but those who wait on the Lord will be renewed in strength. They will what? Mount up on wings as eagles. So what's that mean? We expect the wind of the Holy Spirit to lift us places we could never carry ourselves. They will run and what? Not grow weary. We're going to run through uh, divine opportunities this year, anointed by God, and we are going to walk and not faint. Why? Because we're not going to live on uh, holy happy meals, okay? You live on Happy Meals, you're going to faint when you walk, okay? All right? No, we're going to be spiritually nourished, and we're not going to give up, and we're going to have a steadfast spirit, and there is a work of renewal that God is doing. The, I'm telling you, the onslaught of the enemy against the church in 2020 was real, but I want to let you know, the church will never die. It will never go back. We're not shrinking back. We're moving forward, and we will prevail because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, but Jesus said, I will build my church. And we're being built and renewed in a brand new way this year. There's an unprecedented move of God that's happening. There is a move of God that's happening, a holy hunger for God in nations around the world. Countless thousands are coming to the Lord. And in places where the gospel is illegal, thousands and thousands of people are being born again. Right now, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Radical Jesus is visiting people. They're saying, who is this man in white? We know him. His name is Jesus. And I want to tell you, if we are certainly going to experience the new life that is connected uh, to God's will, it will be because we are deeply connected to Jesus. It's when we're deeply connected to Jesus that we experience new life. How do you, uh, how, you say, how can you say that? Is it... You know, many people think of Jesus, he's just a religious figure. No, 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 no. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's not only the son of man, he's the son of God. He's a healer. He's a savior. I mean, I'm telling you, he kicked the stone away on the third day, got up out of the grave off of the mercy seat of heaven and gave salvation to the planet. And he is alive forevermore. He is powerful. And if we're going to experience new life, it will be because we're deeply, deeply and intimately connected to Jesus. You say, well, what's the scripture you have for that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. It says, it says, then he who sat on the throne said this. Notice these words. Behold, I make all things new. Listen to the words of Jesus over your life today. Behold, I make all things new. Now, I know you good theologians are squirming a little bit because you're like, wait a minute. That's, that's in Revelation. That's talking, talking about the very end. And it is. It's talking about when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. There's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, new Jerusalem coming 
coming down out of heaven, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles across. It's a giant cube coming down. He's going to have to make a new earth because this bad boy would wobble. And he says this, behold, I make all things new. And then he says, write this down because this is true and faithful. He says, this is what I do. And by the way, you don't just need it from Revelation 20, 21. You could see it in all throughout the passages that Jesus comes and makes things new. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. That means he was an old creation, but when Jesus got involved, he renewed all things. This is what he does. It is a work of renewal. And you will be renewed this year as you intimately connect with Jesus. Now, uh, the Lord began to speak to me. I said, okay, God, how would you like us to set the stage for what you want to do? He said, back to basics. Back to basics. I said, okay. He says, I want you to take a fresh look at the great command. I said, okay. All right, we're going back to basics. The very basics. And, and as, as I heard the Lord say back to basics, I couldn't help but know that if you've been around Calvary, you would know that our, our mission statement, it's really a culture statement. The atmosphere in which ministry happens is wrapped around this, this statement connected to the great commandment. And it is this, together, extravagantly love Jesus and, and selflessly love people. Those words are not there by mistake. They are, they are intimately connected to the great commandment. And if you listened last week or you missed that sermon, go and listen to online, calvary.online. You'll hear that message about what it looks like to extravagantly love Jesus. If you're here for the first time and our worship seemed like a little bit excessive, this is why. This is why. Don't you remember the scripture when the woman worshiped with the alabaster box? The question that came was, why this waste? Why so much? Why so far? It's because that's the kind of love that he deserves. Extravagant love. But today... As, and if you don't know the great commandment, we'll, we'll share it with you. It's from Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was being tested by a lawyer. And he asked him, he said, what is the greatest uh, commandment? What's, what's the greatest commandment? And then this is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, I'm going to give you a pop quiz right after I read it. What is the first commandment? It's two words. Love God. All right, I'm going to give you... All right, that's the pop quiz. Now here's the pop quiz. What is the first and great commandment it is? Love God. All right, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. All right. Did you get that? The first and great commandment is? Love God. It's the first. It's the greatest commandment. Is to love God. Now, Jesus loved to to just mess with the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees because they thought they had everything figured out. So from a Jewish perspective, that would have been the final answer. But then Jesus reached as a rabbi and teacher. He reaches a little further. He says, and there's a second. And the second is like it, 
He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. This is the foundation. This is the beginning. This is what everything is connected to, these two. But there is a number one, which is what? And then we are to love people in that order. So today, we're going to look at together selflessly loving people. We're going to look at this from Acts chapter 3. Now, what I'm about to share with you is how I believe Calvary will express selfless love. How you as a person who is connected to the ministry of the house, this is how I believe God has called us to express selfless love. Somebody else may have a different vision. That's good. Get the vision that God has for you and run with that one. We have to run with the vision that God has given for this house. And there is in Acts 3, I believe, four critical things that that show us as a congregation how we are to selflessly love the people of this region. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Starts with these words. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. I want to tell you what a wonderful moment this was, how significant this moment was. Every word significant in this passage, including Uh, where it says, so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Here's what you need to know. Anyone who was lame or maimed in any way was never allowed on the temple mount. It was against the law. So what you need to know is that day an act of love took him to church for the first time. That when strength came and he got his miracle, he ran to the place that he was close to but never had access to. And so they lifted him up and it was walking and leaping and praising God. Most people would just at first think he was walking and leaping because now he could walk. Or was it? Not only could he walk but he could walk as close to the glory of God as humanly possible in that time. That's what happened. So he walks in to this moment of encounter. Now, I want you to to take some clues from this passage and to apply them to your life. This is what it's going to look like for us here at Calvary. And this isn't the the whole sum of it, but this, 
Uh, I believe selfless love here at this church is going to take on these characteristics. First thing you need to see about selfless love from this passage is selfless love prays. Selfless love prays. Notice, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Where were they going? They were going to pray. They were going to engage with heaven. They were going to live in intimacy with God. Their love for God was now actually carrying them to a place of greater intimacy with God. Uh, there's an evangelist that has spoken here and other churches nearby. Been coming here for years. His name's Dean Neferatus. He's seen many, many people one to the Lord, many people filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, the work of the church is prayer. The reward is ministry. I want you to think about that for a moment. The work of the church is prayer. The reward is people. Anybody ever tried to minister to people without praying? What kind of disaster was that? I mean, at best, it only lasted in its effect as long as you were there. But when you give yourself to praying, and by the way, let me, let me just add this. When you start to get the first command right, you're loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It will carry you to the secret place of prayer to be intimate with God. And you will begin to pray for people and believe God that he is going to do in others what he has now done in you. Selfless love prays. It prays. And let me add this, it prays first. You say, prayer, how do you connect that to loving others? Let me, let me show you. Romans chapter 5 says this, now, now hope does not disappoint. For the love of God has been shed abroad, that's a King James Version, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, so... How many of you understand now that the love of God in us that is made for other people comes by the Holy Spirit? It comes by the Holy Spirit. Now, how in the world did that well of love start showing up in people's lives? Well, let's look at the first time the love of God was shed abroad in hearts by the Holy Spirit. The first time it happened in the church was in a prayer meeting. Let me set the scene for you. The scene was this. Jesus has now been raised from the dead. And his disciples, upon hearing about his resurrection, they doubted. They started to believe. Jesus starts to appear to them. Even days after the resurrection, he's Jesus is having to walk through walls to reach disciples. They're in locked rooms. They've locked the door. And Jesus walks through the wall. And his first words were, do not be afraid. <laughs> okay, you know. I'm like, Jesus, you could have knocked. 
You could have knocked. Or you get the revelation that it doesn't matter if you have walls up or locked doors. Jesus is willing to walk through your walls to get to a church, to get to the people he loves. He will walk through your walls. He will come through those spaces and areas that you have quarantined from Jesus. Oh, that's good. Not this sermon. And so he does that for 40 days. They're now on the, 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 the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, not go into all the world. He says, wait until you're endued with power, clothed with power from on high. So what does the church do? Jesus ascends, their mouths are open, looking up. The angels have to say, men, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw ascend is going to descend again. So there's a gap of time between Jesus' ascension of 10 days. The day before Jesus was betrayed, they had a very intimate moment with Jesus called the Last Supper. The disciples make their way from the Mount of Olives, walk down through the valley, and go back to the same room where they had had the Last Supper. The name of that room is called the Upper Room. They go, and for 10 days, they're praying. Day one, prayer. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Y'all were, some of y'all were glad when our fasting and prayer ended after seven days. They kept going. Eight, nine, ten. And in a prayer meeting, the, the, the power of God came upon them. This love of God was shed abroad in their hearts in this moment. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. Notice that, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, well, classically, we then normally people begin to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to know. Both the, pow both the passion and the power for selfless love are found in the place of intimacy with Jesus through prayer. Both the passion and the power for this love of God to be shed abroad in your heart. Here they are. They are praying and they are seeking God. And they're in this place and, they, and God then comes and baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a one-time deal, by the way. It happened again in Acts 4. happens again in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. It happened a lot throughout the book of Acts. And what I want to tell you is in Acts 2 and Acts 4, those who were filled with the Holy Spirit were the same people. 
So here they are in this place of prayer in Acts 2, and prayer leads to the passion and power necessary to take them into loving the world they were called to reach. Selfless love begins in the place of prayer. God meets us there, and then we find the passion and power necessary to love the way that we're called to love. Anybody ever read Galatians 5 and get depressed? Come on, let's be honest here for a, a, a minute in this, in the, you know, in this Pentecostal church. Galatians 5, we read it. We don't get very far into Galatians 5. You know, verse 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You just get to the word love. And all you do is look back over the last 24 hours of your life and you go, Daggum. I have just messed up entirely. I'm just, man, I'm just no good at this love stuff. So now, you're all down in the dumps over not having enough love, and you read the next word, joy. Well, I've just messed up the joy part by not having enough love. Now, I read the third word, peace. Well, I got no peace. Why? Because I got no joy from not enough love. I got more, I, I need more love, I need more love. You grit your teeth, I want to love. I'm going to love. <laughs> Anybody know that doesn't work? You know how you get love? Same way they got it in Acts 2. Same way you get it in Acts 5. It says, not the fruit of you is love. It's the fruit of God's spirit. And when you pray, it's the place of intimacy. It's where you're filled. It's where you're touched. It's where you're formed. You do it with the word of God. You never do it apart from the word of God. But you're in this communion with the Lord. Selfless love, first praise. And that is the place where you then are filled with love and joy and peace and patience. I'm about to set everybody in here free. I'm going to give you another freebie. You ready? Some of y'all have believed the devil your whole life. That you believe that when you pray for patience, God is sending problems. That has been a lie put on the church for years and years. Don't pray for patience. When all along, God said, if you, if you want patience, just ask me to come. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Are you, anybody getting free today? <laughs> come on. We're going to learn how to selflessly love people because it doesn't start with self. It starts in the pray, place of prayer, and that's where it has to begin. Both the passion and the power for selfless love are found in the place of prayer and intimacy with Jesus. Second thing this is selfless love prepares. Selfless love prepares. Now, at first glance, you probably won't find this as you're reading these two passages, but I'll point it out to you. It says, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. That's the key word to being prepared. To ask alms for those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, ask for alms. Now listen, 
Many times, both the disciples and even Jesus have walked by this lame man. Many times. Jesus has, has, has been in and out of the temple mount, walked through this gate, and by the way, who was at this gate daily? The lame man. Jesus walks and ministers in Israel for three and a half years, and this man stayed lame. His disciples walked by him, and this man stayed lame. But he was laid at a gate which is loosely translated beautiful. And what I mean loosely is that it does mean beautiful, but the word in Greek is oraios. If any of my Spanish-speaking people would just look at the first four letters, you would see H-O-R-A. And you would then understand that, wait a minute, that looks like it has a time signature in it because it looks like hour. And you would be right. This gate beautiful is called beautiful because it was speaking to God's divine timing. Meaning that something is beautiful when God unfolds it in his time. It's the idea that that when um, you know a, a plant is first planted, it's in seed form. But when it comes to maturity and flowers and it blooms and it comes into its time, it's then beautiful. It's beautiful in its moment, in its time. Here's what you need to understand. In order for Peter and John to make this gate Beautiful, they needed to be prepared in their time. They had to be ready. You say, how ready? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a clue in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, I charge you therefore uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now, I understand being ready in season, but why in the world do you need to be ready out of season? He, it is by nature out of season. It's not supposed to normally produce. It's not supposed to be. So in season, you would say, wow, I see God's moving. I see God's doing some things. This is the practical application. People are being saved. Man, God is growing something. God is doing something. You know, it's clear for everybody to see. Now you are what? You are ready in season. And now you're participating. You're prepared for that. But God says not only to be prepared for when you can see, but you need to be prepared for when you can't see. You need to be, somebody needed to be ready for 2020. Thank God for 2020 that when we couldn't see, we lifted our eyes to a different realm, the eternal realm. We started looking at God and we started flourishing and we started seeing the life of God and the growth of God and the healing of God and the protection of God. Because if we had only been saying, listen, we only need to be ready in season, we would have looked around and said, this is out of season so let's just give up. 
See, you need to be prepared for out-of-season moments. Why? Because he's an, he's an out-of-season God. Oh, God's just looking to mess up somebody's schedule. I, I want to ask you today, do you live like, John, like Jesus told his disciples to in John 4? He says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. He says, it's out of season now, but it's coming later. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're already white with harvest. You think it's not the season, but I'm telling you, Jesus is saying it is in season and you need to be ready for holy interruptions. What are holy interruptions? Holy interruptions are people who need miracles from Jesus when you are going about your holy business. Oh, some of you holy people, Peter and John, here's this guy. Hey, alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. Some of us good religious people say, don't look. Keep walking. We're going to be late to the prayer meeting. We're going to be late to the prayer meeting. Some of us live our lives that way. We live saying, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, I can't let these, these, these interruptions get in the way of my plans. And I want to tell you this. People are not interruptions. They're your assignment. People are not your, they are not an interruption. It's your assignment. Give yourself to selfless love by being prepared for God to move. Heidi Baker, who has planted more churches in Mozambique and just used in a powerful way, feeding the poor, reaching them in the most dire of circumstances, she said this, God is not about using the mighty but the willing. He is not into using amazing people, just ones who prepared to lay their lives down to him. God is not looking for extraordinary, exceptionally gifted people, just laid down lovers of Jesus who will carry his glory with transparency and not take it for themselves. I love this. I love this third statement. Selfless love proclaims. Selfless love proclaims. Verse 3 says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him. This is Peter with John. Peter said, Look at us. There are so many people in the church uncomfortable with that statement. Look at me. When a moment comes where God wants to unfold something, notice what Peter said. Not look away. Look at me. Look at me. Why? Because he was prepared and he opened his mouth. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I love this. Now, first of all, you need to kind of, let's, let's get into the shoes of the man who's been laid at this gate. Into the mentality of the one who is lame and can't help himself. What does he want? In plain terms, it's money. I want money 
because money will then buy me some bread or some kind of nourishment and I can eat enough for today and survive till tomorrow and then I'm going to need more money and I'm going to go in and beg and, 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 I'm gonna, I, and somebody will give me some money, hopefully. By the way, he had a really good gig. He's right outside of the temple. All those people will be, just be super convicted walking by this guy. They're going to be giving away the alms. He's got a good gig going. But I want you to know this about selflessly loving people. Broken people always think the problem is the problem. They thought the problem was money. I thought that if I just have a little more money, it'll solve my problem. But many times we have problems because of our issues. And broken people don't want to deal with their issues. They want to deal with the problem. But this is where a selfless love for people proclaims the truth. Money isn't going to solve your issue. You are lame You need healing. He was poor because he was lame. Peter knew what he possessed and he boldly declared it. Peter said, I'm not here today to solve your problems but to heal your issue. I wonder if God isn't raising up a church who says we're not in the world to simply solve problems, but to bring healing to a world that is broken. Come on, I'm telling you there is something more to believe for. There is something more to believe for. I love this. Uh, Years years ago, I, I, I pray you can handle this. I was, uh, I was seeing this lady, she was, she was really uh, sick and a lot of um, back pain had been um, declared uh, 100% disabled and unable to work. And I really felt the grace of God come upon me to pray for her to be healed. I mean, I felt the presence of God for me to come, uh, for, for me to pray for her and for her to be healed. And I'm like, I'm like, listen. I said, I believe that God wants to heal you. I want to pray for you. And I believe God will do that. She says, I hope not. I said, why not? Because then I'll lose my check. Broken people want to just deal with the problem, not the issue. Because if she got healed, she had to go back to work. And that requires a deeper place of healing. Now listen, Peter said, I'm not here today to solve your problems, but to heal your issues. And here's what you need to see. This is the marriage of how to selflessly love people. Listen, Spiritual ministry is practical, and practical ministry is spiritual. They go hand in hand. 
They go hand in hand. You, if someone's hungry, feed them. That's a problem. But then be daring enough to say, what I have, I give you. I'm not only going to meet your temporary need, but what I believe God wants to do is to bring you into a place of healing and bring you into a place of resurrection and life where he, where everything that the devil has used to keep you trapped and bound and lifeless, God is resurrecting you and making all things new. And he brings you into that place that he designed you for. It boldly proclaims. What I have. Let me ask you, church, what do you have? What are you possessing in this hour? Who, who do you really serve? Who are you filled with? He's God. He's the God of salvation, the God of resurrection, the God of power, the God of healing, the God of love. By the way, one without the other is an incomplete picture of God's provision. Never forget that in the book of Acts, some of the most supernatural ministry came out of feeding widows. Stephen, Philip, that was their job. The first food pantry. That was their job. And they, they both worked in mighty signs and wonders. As they were feeding widows. God used them powerfully. Stephen became the first martyr. He was so full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Let me give you a... Let me just let you in on a little something. Our food pantry here is supernatural. It has been. It's amazing. I mean, now with COVID and everything, we are so tempted to break the six-foot rules, you know. They roll down their windows, they're driving in, we're taking that, but we are praying for people as they're coming through. And God is moving, and we expect that as we are proclaiming, what I have I give to you, listen, I'm not only going to solve your problem of your hunger, but we believe we can solve your issue. Jesus wants to come and touch your issue so that you can get into the house of God walking and leaping, perhaps like you've never have before. Say, I've been this way all my life. It doesn't matter. You won't be born again that way. Selfless love proclaims Jesus in the practical and in power. Both together. The last one that I want to give you is, is this. Selfless love partners. Selfless love partners. Partners with who? Partners with God. It says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up, rise up and walk. Notice, at this point, all he has done is say something. He's spoken something. But verse 7 is a picture of what selfless love does as it's partnering with God. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him. And immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. You see, selflessly loving people is a partnership between our hands and God's strength. It's a partnership between our hands and God's strength. Have you ever been in a moment where you say something in faith, in obedience to God, and you're out there? 
the next moment requires him to show up. I can remember one of those moments. I was in North Georgia at a youth conference. It was the last night. It was amazing. And I've been telling our kids, boy, I tell you what, I had been telling our kids, man, God wants to move in power through your life. I'd just been telling them, well, a couple of them believed me. And in this room of about six, 7,000 people, 8,000 people probably, they found a girl in a wheelchair. And like, I'm just trying to gather, you know, the youth group at the end of a conference, which is kind of like herding cats. Come on. All right, we're going. Going to the vans. No, 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 the vans. The vans. Going to the vans, you know. I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see two of our students. I mean, and they are laid down. I mean, they are in full, full blast miracle mode. Those two were laying. It got their both hands on this girl in the wheelchair and people standing around them just looking at them. And I saw them and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to fix this. <laughs> I come up, they're praying in tongues. They're like, la, 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 la. you know, they're laying hands on her. And I'm like, oh. and then I walk up the whole groups with me. And I'm like, and as I was walking up, the Lord said, you better not touch that. I'm like, oh, so you're in this? I'm like, okay. And I walk up, and this is the, this is the word I hear. The, the Lord says, tell her that I'm going to get her up out of the wheelchair. That she, when she hears a loud crack come from within her body, she will know it's time to get up out of the wheelchair. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> this is going to happen somewhere in the future. So I said, this is what the Lord said to me, uh, that he said that you're going to hear a loud crack within your, your body. And then when you hear that loud crack, you then are going to have and know that this is the time, the beautiful time for you to leave that wheelchair. And she looks me in the eyes with arms folded and legs lifeless, said, that happened 40 minutes ago. Now I have a choice. I'm either going to remove my hands and step back, or I am going to partner with God and do what verse 7 says. I said, do you want to get up out of the wheelchair? And she said, yes. Anybody scared yet? <laughs> yeah. And so I folded it out. I'm looking at grandpa and grandma, just kind of doing this. I folded it back. I took her by her, her arms, and we actually, multiples of us, lifted her out of the wheelchair. And I'm holding her. Someone had her from behind. 
And then she just slowly begins to, to walk. And I have her by two hands now. And I said, uh, wow, it's kind of cool. I said, let her go from behind. So the ones who were holding her from behind, let her go. And now I have her by two hands. She's holding onto my hands. And she begins to walk with strength. Now, this caused a small stir. <laughs> Leaders of the conference have now seen there are people screaming. I'm going, because I'm the practical, like I believe in the supernatural, but I want proof. I'm like, is this normal? Is this normal? I need to know. And then all of a sudden, she let go of one of my hands. And now she has one hand. And we're walking all around this giant place. And then she let go of my hand. And she's walking. And strength comes to her legs. And, the, and now we're, we're literally, I don't know, 50 yards away from her wheelchair. And as she begins to, to walk and we're turning back, the, the Lord says, tell her to look at the wheelchair. And I said, okay. Look at the wheelchair. She says, I see it. I said, that's how God intends on keeping it empty. Now, six months later, I'm at, uh, I'm at a ministry a leadership event, and two people approached me, and they said, I'm from this church in this place. I said, do you remember a girl named Olivia? Oh, I said, oh, yeah, I do. I remember. They said, well, we want you to know that that just this last Sunday, which was six months uh, following this, she walked up on the stage and told the story about how two young, pa uh, young people and a youth pastor from Florida came, laid hands on her, lifted her from a wheelchair, and suddenly strength came. She testified before the church, I stand before you today whole because there is power in the name of Jesus. And here's what you need to know. When you reach out your hands, God is reaching out his hands. When you would dare to extend your arms and lift the hurting and lift the lost and lift the broken and lift them, I fully expect that in this hour when you move in selfless love, heaven will move. Is it risky? Yes, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You see, selfless love for people reaches as far as our arms can reach and expects heaven to move when we do. Church, I wonder, do you have the kind of selfless love that would cause you to extend your hands to the broken? And expect that Jesus will come and heal them of their issues and heal their brokenness and lead them to life. I do. And that's the kind of selfless love that God has called us to. If you're here today and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus... I want to reach out my hands as far as I can to you. 
and say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. Repent and believe and be saved. You'll be forgiven. You'll be washed. You'll be cleansed. He will fill you with his spirit and you will find out why he placed you on this planet. I'm extending my hands to you and here's what I expect. I expect that right now heaven is extending his hands, Jesus' hands to you right now. And all you must do is stand in the strength that he gives. You say, I, I've never walked with God. It's okay. He's the resurrection and the life. All you need to do is admit that you've sinned and believe that he's the son of God come to save. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith in what he did for us on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. And then we become the church who lives selflessly out of intimacy. Who boldly proclaims what I have. I give. Freely you've received.